Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks, with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. For Tech Stuff listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is "The Singularity Is Near: When Humans Transcend Biology" by Ray Kurzweil. Kurzweil explores a future where man and machine are one and the same. Tech Stuff is fascinated by the idea of singularity, and this is a great book to learn more about it. "The Singularity Is Near: When Humans Transcend Biology" by Ray Kurzweil. Available from Audible. To try Audible free today and get a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com. Slash tech stuff. That's audiblepodcast.com slash tech stuff. Well, hello there, kids, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as is typically the case when we talk about technology and stuff in the studio, that would be senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Somewhere in La Mancha, in a place whose name I do not care to remember, a gentleman lived not long ago. One of those who has a lance and ancient shield on a shelf, and keeps a skinny nag and a greyhound for racing. Awesome. Thank you. I actually know where that comes from. Yeah. 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 Yep. That's a uh, brave new world right there. <laughs> um, brave new world. Uh, that's what that's from. I thought that was uh, Beowulf. <laughs> it was that you know that that's the original first line of Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. Is actually what that is. I, you d- didn't recognize it because I didn't use the Middle English. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's enough of that. Yeah. Uh, this We're is full of beans this morning. <laughs> um, you know, frequently we bleh. you know frequently when we talk about topics on tech stuff. Um, it's either something that's near and dear to our hearts, or it's something specifically that somebody wrote in. Uh, about and this is this is actually something sort of more toward the former, but it's also something that's hit the headlines, uh, and, it, and it's probably near and dear to many of your hearts as well because the company we're talking about is going through some very rough times, and it's somebody that that made a real difference to really the world. Yeah, we're talking about Kodak here, and mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, Kodak has made a huge impact on technology, on photography in general, especially when it comes to the average person having a chance to get his or her hands on a camera Mm -hmm. because before Kodak photography was really a pretty limited field and it was just there there really were no there really were no consumer cameras and the the company itself has a very long history it's over a century old yes yes and and really well for one thing um, not long before we recorded this in uh, February 2012 um, the company declared Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Yeah, that was so. in January. And then and then a month later, mm-hmm. they made an announcement that really kind of showed how the company has changed dramatically. Uh, on February 9th, 2012, mm-hmm. Kodak announced that it was getting out of the camera business. Yeah. And I mean, there's it's one thing to talk about all the businesses that, camera, that uh, Kodak is in, um, you know, but it has made it, it started out in the film business essentially, yeah. but moved quickly into cameras. And right. The idea that that Kodak would stop making cameras is just sort of it's 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 really kind of earth shaking yeah. to, to somebody who's grown up with it. Right. Right. It would be um, 
it, it's hard to it's hard to kind of what would you compare it to? It'd be like if Apple said it was no longer going to make Macs. Yeah. Like from now on, Apple was just going to concentrate on mobile electronics. It's even I'd, I'd say it's even more earth shaking than that. Yeah, but really. I'm just trying to come up yeah. with something that people can it's like can, a core business. Right. Is yeah. The the thing that is most identified, and I guess you could argue that mm-hmm. with Apple now. The iPod and the iPhone have kind of supplanted the Mac, but yeah, it's it's hard to wrap your mind around it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this means no more digital cameras or video cameras or even digital picture frames from Kodak. Instead, what they're going to focus their main core business on <laughs> focus <laughs> no longer will be cameras; it'll be printers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So well, I guess it's good that HP decided to uh, continue its consumer. <laughs> Uh, computer business and not focus primarily on consumer printers for its consumer side, because otherwise HP and Kodak would just be head to head. They still are technically. Yes. But. Well, the uh, um, apparently the uh, bankruptcy filing included this information that um, as of September, the end of September 2011, uh, Kodak had uh, about 5.1 billion dollars. Uh, to its name. Unfortunately, it had $6.75 billion in debt, uh, including $12 million that it owed to Nokia uh, in Finland for royalties on uh, intellectual property. So yeah, when you have more debt than you have money, that's what we call a bad thing. Yeah. It's also what we call fresh out of college, mm-hmm. well, at least in the United States. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I don't think that's uh, exclusive to the U.S. No, but there are a lot of places in Europe where taxes end up <laughs> taking mm-hmm. care of a lot of the... I'm just saying. Well, um, Kodak... Student loans. <laughs> Kodak has uh, quite a bit of... Uh, Intellectual property yes. information, um, and it tried to leverage that before it filed for bankruptcy. Yes. I mean, they're, they're, this is not really new stuff. Uh, Kodak struggling has been a result of the uh, you know the, the burgeoning uh, digital photography industry, yeah, I think um, can... which it has done somewhat of a you know semi successful capitalization on. But and, and I think you could say by now that digital photography has supplanted. Oh, film yeah. photography yeah. for all but uh, uh, there, there's a, a <laughs> decreasing number of photographers who will use film and it's not that film is is worse than than digital in fact there are a lot of photographers who argue the opposite that there oh, are yeah. qualities that you get with film that you cannot get with digital unless you were to spend countless hours trying to recapture something that film does naturally on its own yeah uh, but that being said the general consumer it's it's almost all digital now. I mean, you, that's what we have in our in our phones. It's what we have. Some mm-hmm. MP3 players have them. Sure. Tablets. I mean, it's our, our computers have, in a lot of cases, have the the camera built into the the frame. Right. Yeah. Um, and and people would, use them for you know chatting and things like that. But you can also use them to take still photos. It'd be very inconvenient if those were all film based. True. But uh, yeah. So. Wait, hold on. I got to take my laptop apart to get the film out. Yeah. So some people say that Kodak's the the reason why Kodak is in the position it's in now is that it did not adapt quickly enough. It did not commit fully enough to the digital revolution and stuck with the film side for consumer products, maybe a bit too loyally. You know, maybe yeah. you were a little too adamant on keeping with that film side of the equation and not jumping enough over to the digital side. And, uh, and you know, it's kind of hard to say whether... You know, back at the back when Kodak was making these calls, it was hard to tell that that was going to be the, the wrong call. 
Right. Well, uh, and it's also an oversimplification because Kodak was one of the pioneers of digital sure. work. Because we're, we're going to look at that in a moment. Plus, uh, you know, they, they've... Kodak would have been in a much worse position or even gone by now if it hadn't diversified itself. Yes. I think we should take a look back. Okay. Uh, starting from the beginning and a, and a guy that many of you know, he's a, he's a tech pioneer, but his name is certainly familiar to, it's, it's a household name for many, many people. Yeah. And has been, especially in, in Rochester, New, jo- New York. So, uh, you're uh, talking about George Eastman. George Eastman, who, you know, he's not, known as the brainiest inventor who ever lived. In fact, he was sort of an average guy. Yeah. Um, uh, came out of an average home, uh, ended up having to uh, to jump right into the workforce, and um, actually was a banker for a while, too. He, he went to, to school to become a um, to improve himself and uh, ended up being a banker. But, you know, he he went on a vacation. This is kind of funny. He went on a vacation and wanted to, to uh, be able to take pictures, so he bought a, a, a wet plate outfit. Yeah, this is the way photography was was done before uh, Eastman got the idea to try to simplify things somewhat. Mm. And he had to buy a boatload of gear. Yeah, because Just if you to have take a, a picture, yeah, because with wet plate photography, you have to have the plate wet with chemicals mm-hmm. before you take the photo, right? And before it. It, the plate dries, you have to develop the photo. Right. So you have to keep the... <laughs> he had to buy a tent yeah. so that he could develop the photos of his vacation on the spot before the <laughs> before the chemicals dried. Yep. That's somewhat inconvenient. And this is why professionals were the only people taking photos, because nobody wanted to mess with this. It was expensive. It was a pain in the neck. Yeah. And then came the development of the dry plate method. <laughs> development. Yeah, God, are you going to do that the whole <laughs> podcast? Because I will well, quit right now. The, the funny thing is, we use these terms, but these are totally photography terms. Yes, they are. So okay, sorry. so the progression <laughs> from I'll wet stop. plate to dry plate. Um, so yeah, yeah, he knew about this. This is not something that he invented. No. Wet plate to dry plate. Right, dry plate meant that you no longer had to have those wet chemicals on the plates before you took your photo, and you didn't have to worry about it drying out before right. before you had to develop it. Um, but what he did was he came up with a an emulsion coating machine which allowed the mass production of dry plates, which was a big deal because that before then, you were making dry plates one at a time. Very slow, painstaking process, not efficient, there was no real way to make that a consumer market device at all because it it just took too long to make them. Yes, this is this is one of those situations where he figured out he heard about these experiments people were doing with with a gelatin coating mm-hmm. uh, for the chemicals that you would use to uh, capture an image, and he said, you know, I think that there's got to be a way to make this easier, and he spent long hours after he would go home from work he would spend hours working in his mother's kitchen um trying to come up with a way to to make this uh a mass production affair and they, apparently he would they would find him in the morning he would fall asleep on the floor in his clothes yeah coming home after a long day at the office and he'd have to go back to work so he spent a long time uh working on this process and a lot of elbow grease really putting into the process of trying to come up with this but no headlight fluid so in 1880 <laughs> light fluid yeah i'll tell you later okay. in 1880 he began to 
create the commercial production of these dry plates. And mm-hmm. he rented a loft uh, in uh, Rochester, New York. And this is the date that Kodak tends to trace its history back to. Right. Is in 1880 when Eastman started to actually uh, produce these dry plates and sell them. Uh, and a year later, uh, Eastman partnered up with a guy named Henry A. Strong. Hey, you know, you got to go with uh, somebody with with a name like that. Strong. Just, you know, hey, we got... Well, and you know what he, he made before he got into this whole film business, right? Buggy whips. Yeah, when you if you have a strong buggy whip, you know you're in good hands. <laughs> As opposed to those weak buggy whips. I don't want to make any cracks about buggy whips. See, <laughs> I, can, I can do it too. Uh. Uh, so anyway, they formed the partnership that they called the Eastman Dry Plate Company, which just mm-hmm. rolls off the tongue. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then that year, that fall, Eastman quits his job as a bank clerk and devotes his full attention to this business. Yep. So he he really believed that they were going to make a a mark, a ma- make a name for themselves in. This this business, and he was right. They were very successful very early. By 1883, so just two years after they had formed this partnership, they transferred over to a four-story building in uh, an address that we now know as 343 State Street, Rochester, New York. Mm-hmm. And if you were to visit that area, you would find Kodak's worldwide headquarters. Yep. So they did not they did not venture far. No, not at all. Not uh, at although all. the building looks. Completely different. Uh, it's it's yes. a different building. Yes, it's what's now three four three State <laughs> Street. So uh, we should make that clear. But in 1884, they changed the business, and it it evolved from a partnership into a corporation with 14 shareholders. At uh, with a it was a two hundred thousand dollar corporation, which in 1884 that's a that's a big chunk of change. I did not actually think to do the uh, the the conversion to find out exactly how much that is in today's dollars, but I'll say lots. Yeah, I uh, I only did one conversion, and that's for something that's coming up soon. Yeah, I did too. I'm um, wondering if it's for the same thing. Probably. We'll find out. Um, yeah, and as a matter of fact, uh, in 1884, that's when they introduced negative paper, which you yeah, know, basically they, was paper that just complained about how nothing yeah, was going to work out. I had a lot of negative papers in college. Yeah. No, um, this, of course, uh, you know, was... Anybody who's worked with film for cameras is, uh, you know, what you use to capture, you know, you have the negatives or uh, looks like and, you know, hold it up to the light. It looks like the opposite of what you see when you print a photo. Um, and uh, William H. Walker, somebody who was working with the company, uh, invented a roll holder for, for negatives. So this is this is just, uh, you know, this is trivia in a way, but it's not in another because these guys are inventing the way that you capture images for and, and making it simpler and mass product, you know, doing the mass production work for this stuff. So they're really inventing the photo business. Yeah, it's because of these the work that these men did that the the consumer uh, camera developed evolved the way it did. I didn't say it. I or- know. But I just wanted to stop myself before I said it again. Didn't quite work. But anyway, yeah. If if uh, if someone else had made uh, advances in the technology, mm-hmm. perhaps cameras would have uh, have been completely different. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think of that roll of film, that if you've ever used a camera that actually used film, and you had to put a roll of film in and feed the film over through a little feeder, and then. Uh, you would take photos and you'd look at the exposure number on your camera. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the reason why we do that is because of the work these men did. Right. If other people had done something else, then cameras would have looked and behaved completely differently than the way that we think of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and as a matter of fact, uh, this is, and in 18, uh, 1886, this is about the time that uh, Kodak sewed its its roots of, um, sewed its roots, uh, really sort of began, yes, began looking at the possibility that they should be getting into other technologies. They were the, uh, uh, one of the very first companies in America that had a full-time research scientist. Yeah. Um, and he was looking at the, uh, creating a transparent film base. Um, you know, something that was flexible. It didn't have to be a solid plate. Like yeah. uh, the existing photo technology was. Yeah, the the first transparent photographic film came from Kodak, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it was right around that time. Uh, it, it was in eighty eight, eighteen eighty eight. Yep. When Eastman founded the Kodak Company. Yes, I, I I love the genesis of this name because now companies come up with names for themselves and from products by going through marketing groups and focus groups and trying to come up with, you know, the Excitra and things that yeah. will stir the passions. The Conquistador. Eastman sat down. He liked the letter K because he felt like it was a strong letter. Yeah. And just played around with words. He made up Kodak. Yep. And, you know, look at that. It's it's short. It's sweet. And people it's remember it. It's one letter off from being a bear. Also, I think he... He also liked that uh, the color yellow, the signature color yellow that they use on their packaging. Yep. Um, and he came up with the slogan, you press the button, we do the rest for the first camera. Now, here again, it's 2012. They've stopped producing cameras or, or are about to, really. Um, so 1888 was when they released their first camera. Yeah. Before that, they were they were strictly film. Yes. And, and dry plate. And dry plate. Mm-hmm. And now in 88, they've re- released their first uh, camera. This is giving birth to the era of snapshot photography. Yeah. In the this sense is that huge. Yeah, this is what allows the average person to get a camera and not have a lot of training or expertise in photography and take pictures. Mm-hmm. Now, again, we should stress that the quality of pictures is going to depend highly upon the type of camera and the photographer. Mm-hmm. We have a photographer as our producer today, <laughs> and I just want to make it clear that we appreciate the intense level of skill that she has as a photographer. I, I agree. Um, She's also scary. <laughs> um, and in 89 was when they, uh, when Kodak released its first commercial transparent roll film. Yes. Um, so this perfection, the, the release of the camera equipment, the release of the transparent roll film, um, this is a complete revolution because it's, it's made uh, photography available to the average person. Again, um, and uh, this is when, you know, things started to really change. Yeah. You also, uh, at, at this time, though, you had to go into a dark area to load your camera because yes. you don't want to expose your film yeah. and ruin it yeah, before you can take pictures. Because, of course, the whole thing about film is that it has a, a chemical reaction when it's exposed to light, and that's what allows it to capture photos or, or pictures. If you were to expose that film to light before you were to use it in a camera, then you would just ruin that that film. Mm-hmm. It would be it would be as if you had taken a photo already uh, that was completely in uncontrolled circumstances. Mm-hmm. So you had to load it in a dark room until 1891, when they they introduced their first daylight loading camera, which had uh, the the roll protected the film in such a way that you could load the film into a camera, advance it 
the film so that the little part that was exposed is beyond where you're taking the images, and you just start snapping away. Yep. That's a, a big difference because I can tell you trying to load film in the dark can be really annoying, especially if you drop it. Um, yeah. So – uh, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to discuss every little thing they've done. I mean, there's, there's a lot of information on the Kodak website about oh, this yeah. t- type of stuff if you're really interested in the company, which is amazing. But I, you know, I want to capture some of the highlights. Okay. Um, you know, they, they did change. It? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, they were the Eastman company. Yes. They, they switched to the Eastman company and then they became Eastman Kodak in, in 1892 to yeah. capture the, again, capture, uh, to, uh, to really play off of the name Kodak. Yes. Um, and uh, let's see. I mean, they they basically grew for the next few years uh, just rapidly. They took off. They they built buildings. They started moving outside the United States. Yep. Um, and then they announced the pocket Kodak camera in 1895, which used roll film. Mm-hmm. And you, uh, hey, guess what? You could actually figure out where uh, what what snapshot you were on. Yeah, because it had a, a, an indicator to tell you what number. You want, hey, I'm on number 12. Right, which is very useful when you are wondering how many photos you have left on the roll. And, you know, anyone who's used a film camera and they've wanted to go out and take pictures of stuff, it does, it can be frustrating. If you look down and you say, oh, wait, I only have two photos left. Is this moment really worth capturing? Yeah. Or should I wait and and save those two photos? But before this, you essentially had to keep track of it with yourself until you realized that, oh, the camera's not advancing any further because I've taken the last image. Anyone who's ever rolled his or her own film, as I have, also has had that problem because you go <laughs> in the dark, you're sitting there loading, you, ah, it feels like enough. You put it in the, the cartridge and then you start snapping photos and it doesn't matter there's a number on there. Yeah. Because <laughs> you really don't know exactly how many photos you've got. True. Um, so yeah, I mean, they, they started moving into, uh, uh, into Europe about this time, but oh, uh, in 1896, Yes. They, uh, they started, well, we had see-through photos before because they in- invented the uh, transparent film, but this is when they really got into uh, see-through stuff because yeah. they, they started making uh, plates and paper for x-rays. Yes, which had only been discovered the year before. Yeah, in 1895. So, yeah, they, they jumped on that very, very quickly. I mean, Kodak at this point was one of the leading uh, companies when it came to... Uh, capturing and processing images. Well, I mean that also in 1896 they they uh started promoting the first film especially made for creating motion pictures. Yep. They actually worked with some uh, some inventor guy who also lived in New York. I can't remember his name. Tesla. Uh, no. Oh. No, that wasn't it. Oh, uh Alexander Graham Bell. Yep. Oh, um Steve Jobs. I'm just okay, going to keep now giving wrong, I'm going to keep giving wrong answers until you say the right one. Thomas Alva Edison. Oh, right, that guy. That guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I like to call him Elephant Shocker. Oh man. Yeah. You're just mean. Well, that, I didn't kill an elephant with alternating current. Well, technically, he didn't. He just sanctioned it. Okay. Um, Fair enough. So I, I was only following orders. Oh, following orders. Yeah. 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 So um, they did come up with the uh, folding pocket Kodak camera. Yep. 1898. In um, which was great if you had folding pockets. Yeah, if you didn't, oh well. Yeah, well, this is this is the first to have the uh, two and a quarter by three and a quarter inch negative, which was the standard size for you know thirty years or so, for a while anyway. Uh, in 1899, Eastman kind of showed what sort of boss he was. Uh, mm-hmm. We, you know, we if you listen to our HP uh, podcasts, you learned about the founders of HP were very much 
about rewarding employees and and fostering a good corporate uh, citizen sort of uh, uh, profile, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, Kodak is the same way, and Eastman very much believed in rewarding his employees. And in 1899, he gave them a bonus from his own personal money because he felt that they had worked so hard and done such good work for the company. So I believe it was $10 million. Yeah, here's a man taking money from his own pocket to reward his employees. Now, you don't see a whole lot of that today. Yeah, yeah, not not at the same level. No, no. So. I mean, you, know, you might get like a, uh, here you go, congratulations. Um, well, well, you see companies having funds set up within the company yeah. to you know success sharing, reward sharing programs. But this is something that he gave from his own pocket. Yes, which uh, which was pretty significant, pretty really. phenomenal. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that that makes your employees really want to work hard for you. So and they did the the. 1900. So yes. we're talking about the the turn of the century, unless you want to say 1901 is technically the turn of the century. Which I, I would. would I would agree with you, but let's 1900. Not argue semantics. 1900. That's when they introduced the brownie camera. Yes. Which was probably the most famous uh, camera. I would say that Kodak. It's it's one of those that was synonymous with the Kodak name for a really long time. Oh yeah, yeah, and it was really sort of marketed to kids. Uh, because it had the brownie name and you know the the little elf that they used on the packaging, but here's here was the conversion I did. Ah, uh, yes, me, be- me too. So be- because it was one dollar, right? They made it available for one dollar, which in today's money would be two cents. Or uh, if you took one dollar in today's dollars, that would actually be twenty eight dollars and twenty cents. There you go. Yeah, and the film was sold for fifteen cents a roll, which was around four dollars. Yep. Yep. But which yeah. really, when you think about it, is not terribly expensive. It was it was meant to be something that that the uh, the average person could afford effectively. Right. Yeah. So for one one buck, you could go out and buy a brownie camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that was. I mean, that was again another revolution. It was suddenly making the camera technology not just available because it's sold to consumers, but mm-hmm. available because it's affordable. Uh, yeah, and then it just it really sort of launched this this industry in the United States and then across the world. So, uh, and then 1901, the Eastman Kodak Company of New Jersey, which became the parent company of the entire corporation, formed, mm-hmm. and uh, Eastman became the president of the New Jersey Holding Company, and Strong Henry A. Strong uh, became the head of the New York Company. Uh, and would remain the head of the company until he passed away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which was in 1919. But that's down the road a bit. Now, we've talked about the camera and the yeah. film. Mm-hmm. Um, and those two things are of, obviously, paramount importance. Yeah, I did that on purpose. Um, so uh, It's a good touchstone. <laughs> um, I thought I had you outfoxed. Oh. But... Uh, we're going what, what, to play this game now, are we? There's a, there's a piece that, that we're missing. Yeah. And that's what happens after you take the photo. Yes. Um, you know, doing darkroom work can be intensely rewarding, especially if you're cooped up in that room with a lot of uh, developing chemicals and you start yes. seeing little a- animals right. dancing around the room. Exactly. Hey, all the photos are coming to life. Yeah, really. But um, there's also, you know, Kodak realized that it could make strides on the other side, too. Yes, the processing and, uh, side. And the processing side. And this was when they in- introduced the Kodak developing machine, which made it so much more simple. You didn't have to have a dark room. You could you could plop the film in the machine, and it would do it for you. Um, this is this is nice for amateurs who want to do this themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And let's see, uh, 1903. See, these are these are all things that seem sort of trivial today, but they weren't at the time. Non-curling film. Uh, for the next 30 years, they, yeah. the non-curling film was the one that uh, that people used. So why would anyone want film that didn't just slide a thing across the ice and sweep little shavings? No, 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 no. As in curly, you know. Oh, like spiraling. When you, when you let go and it goes. Oh, yeah. never mind. So I'm going to jump ahead. Okay. 1914. I'm forcing us forward. Okay. So well, ni- they, I, w- I thought you were going to mention 1908. You thought I was, but I'm not. Okay. <laughs> Do you have something that you really need to say about 1908? Well, the the film at the time was sort of flammable because they were using a cellulose nitrate base. Yeah. Yes, it was. And uh, they, they changed to cellulose uh, acetate in 1908, which made it more... Uh, or acetate. Yeah, acetate, which made it more non-Bernie Uppy friendly. Yeah, so we had fewer photographer fires then, which was, you know, again, our producer appreciates. Yes. I've only seen her catch on fire twice, so it's improving. Uh, in 1914, <laughs> they built, they had their 16-story office building built in uh, what is now 343 State Street, Rochester. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, that 16-story building would later become a 19-story building, because 1930 they added more floors to it. Uh, so that's the world headquarters. Uh, then jumping ahead, in 1917, Kodak helped out in the war effort during World War I, mm-hmm. and they developed aerial cameras uh, so that the U.S. Signal Corps could take photos, reconnaissance photos, during the war. Mm-hmm. So that was a really... Kind of uh, during that time, I mean, there were a lot of companies that were all dedicating a lot of effort to try and support the United States in this world war. I mean, it was the very first world war, so mm-hmm. it was a it was a huge deal. Yep, they also used that uh, uh, cellulose acetate um, for the uh, coating airplane wings and developing lenses for gas masks that wouldn't mm-hmm. break. Which is, uh, you know, hey, they had it on hand. So in uh, 1921. Again, showing what sort of company this was, Eastman Savings and Loan Association was uh, was formed, and it was to help employees uh, finance home purchases. Mm-hmm. So that was actually a pretty big deal that the company had created this institution to help its employees find and uh, secure pl- places to live, and um, eventually that would split off to become a, a credit union. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, they started making it possible. Now, we, we were talking about the motion picture film earlier, but um, in 1923, they started making uh, motion picture film available in 16-millimeter format for uh, for amateurs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, you know, black and white stuff. Uh, they, they also made the Cinecodac motion picture camera and the Kodoscope projector. Um, so you could do everything. You could shoot the photos. Uh, they had film for it, and you could you could uh, show home movies to your board friends. I mean, to your uh, friends when they would come over of right. your vacation. Um, and then, uh, well, they actually improved on that in in 1928 when they ve- uh, developed a uh, when they made a color photo uh, film or color movie film for anim- amateur uh, motion picture. People. This is quickly becoming even more irritating than when we did Raspberry Pi. Yeah, I agree. Mm, um, yeah, and then they started in 1929 making it possible to use sound yes. on motion pictures. Now, we talked about that in a previous podcast, yes, well, too. Yes, there's a special magnetic strip where the sound information is recorded mm-hmm. that's that's next to the actual images that you're capturing. Yep. Um, just as a note, 
Uh, all, all along this process, uh, Kodak has been uh, creating businesses to supply its business. So uh, a few years before that, they, they had uh, uh, started a company to manufacture wood alcohol for the film base. And um, they're also doing other uh, groups, uh, a gelatin corporation to help with the film. So um, they're they're really creating their own infrastructure yeah. within the company, which is very helpful because it makes them a very solid player. They don't have to depend on somebody else to supply these materials to right. them. Right. In 1932, this was a big year for Kodak in, mm-hmm. in one positive way and one negative way. Yeah. In 32, that's when they uh, introduced the first 8-millimeter amateur motion picture film cameras and projectors. So yep. now people can make home movies with 8-millimeter film. Again, that's a standard now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I, I had guess a, why <laughs> I had an eight millimeter camera. Yep. Uh, I have eight millimeter film at home. I haven't. I don't have a projector for it, but it, you know, old home movies from the family. Yep. Well, that's also the year that George Eastman passed away. Yes. And he left his entire uh, estate to the University of Rochester. Yes. So again, showing that he was a <laughs> he was. He was really he really believed in giving back to the community and giving back to the people that he felt helped support him. Yeah. So that was pretty uh, pretty phenomenal. Yeah, he really believed. Uh, just as an aside, he really believed in education too. Um, and he would he donated money to uh, to help kids. He donated money for causes that were important to him. Like um, he uh, he was very into music and felt that to have. To to uh, have a successful musical community in a town, you really needed to educate people about music so that they would mm-hmm. appreciate it more. Um, and that's where the Eastman's the money for the Eastman School of Music, which is a prestigious school, uh, came about. I mean, he's he was he was really into education and helping people become aware of the importance of uh, art. And, um, you know, basically education in general mm-hmm. in the community. So there's, you know, there are a lot of institutions in, in Rochester. If you, if you've ever been there, it's a, it's a great town I've been and, uh, I should say city. Um, and, uh, it's, it's a really neat place, but a lot of places in, in, in Rochester bear his name because of the contributions he made. Sure. Um, so in 35, they introduced the first, uh, commercially uh, available amateur color film, the Kodachrome film. A lot of people still, they just, they, yeah, they, <laughs> uh, Kodachrome really made a name for itself yes, it because did. of the richness of color. And it was kind of unusual too because, uh, it was black and white. Mm-hmm. It was during the developing process yeah. that the color was aware. You, you would actually notice that there was color there. Yep. Um, because of the chemicals used to, uh, to develop it, it was kind of fascinating to me. Um, anyway. Yeah. 19, jumping ahead, 19, uh, uh, 37, they introduced the first slide projector. Coda slide? Yep, which was, uh, you had to One load. One slide at a time. Right, yeah. So not only could you bore your, your friends with your family photos, but you could take a really long time doing it. Yes. They'll fix that later, though. Yeah. So uh, where do you want to jump to from here? Well, they, again, they did all kinds of things in yes, 1939. So many uh, the ready mount for its Kodachrome film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as soon as you got the, uh, the, the process, the slides back from the processing lab, you, you could, you could put them together. Um, all kinds of stuff. Right. Uh, Kodachrome, color film for prints in 1942. That yep. was the first color negative film. This was different from the Kodachrome. Right. Um, yeah, the negative itself had, had color in it, not black and white. Yep. And the, uh, army, uh, well, actually the, the, uh, United States military gave uh, the 
company an E award for high achievement in the production of equipment and film for the war effort. Yep. So they helped out in World War II as well. Um, then, of course, uh, you know, they made transparency film in the late 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, they began looking at other uh, ben- uh, other companies, too. They started making, uh, this is kind of weird, synthetic vitamin A yes. in 1947. Yeah, there's some parts of Codex history where if you're not really familiar with it, if you're only familiar with their cameras, you're thinking, what? Yeah. <laughs> but This might be one of them. Like like many large companies, they they realize the benefits of diversification, and that is what I think will save Kodak once it it manages to make its way out of uh, Chapter Eleven bankruptcy. Yeah, it's just a balance between diversification and not going so far outside your core business that mm-hmm. you are getting involved in something you have really, pardon the pun, no business in. Yeah, they they eventually would would uh, stop manufacturing uh, vitamin A, but they did get into uh, actually no, they you know. We like to manufacture vitamin A. See, the way it works is that you actually... Okay, synthetic vitamin A. Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah, in 1973. But they did get into uh, television recording, um, along with Dumont Laboratories and NBC Mm -hmm. in uh, in 1947. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they they started getting into safety film for the motion picture industry in 1948. They got an Oscar, as a matter of fact, for that. Yep, yep. and Codex, then they, Codex earned a couple of Oscars. Oh yeah, over for its contributions. In fact, one of the things they were very proud about was that up until till fairly recently, every single motion picture that has won the best picture category was filmed on Kodak film. Mm-hmm. That's but impressive. The digital era is starting to change that, but yeah. you know, during the film era, that was that was true. Yep, yep. They started uh, uh, producing uh, the Kodak Colorama display transparencies, which were uh, <laughs> they they projected onto the main terminal floor at Grand Central Station in New York. That was uh, eighteen feet high and sixty feet wide. See, yeah. You know, that's really, a lot of megapixels. Really confused a lot of uh, a lot of wait. What's that up there? Travelers there, yeah. Um, and then, uh, of course, in fifty one, they did the eight millimeter brownie movie camera. Yep. And movie projector in fifty two. Yep. Um, they had the, the Kodak Brownie Starmatic in 57. Wow. Oh, uh, in 54, though, you know, there are some people that prefer the look of black and white. And Tri-X, 1954 is when they, they released Tri-X film, which is a uh, high-speed black and white. I've used Tri-X. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, it, it's a good film. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were still, they were still doing both black and white and color. Well, a lot of, uh, newspapers were still shooting black and white because they couldn't, they didn't have color press. Right. And this is, this is again showing that, you know, they really, although they were looking at diversification, their core business was still very much in the film world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it, most of these innovations have to do with either the, the film process itself or the technology of the camera. They did get into, uh, polyester textile fiber. By Tennessee yeah. Eastman, which was yep. the uh, the wood alcohol company we mentioned before in '58, um, but they started releasing a high-speed ectochrome film, uh, the fastest color film in the market, um, and they had uh, fully automatic exposure control in '59 on the uh, Kodak cameras. In '61, they finally introduced a Kodak carousel projector, Thank so you. now you no longer had to front load that slide. Actually, there were other there were other slides. Slide projectors they introduced before that, but the carousel projector is the one that, that I'm familiar difference. with. Yeah, well that that's the one with the big wheel that has all the yeah. slides in it. Chunk chunk. Yes. Chunk chunk. Yep. Yeah, no, I, there were many a day in my my school days when oh, yeah. we were treated to slideshows, and then 
the entire class shouting out, it's backwards, you know, yeah. when the slide's in the wrong way, and, uh, or yeah. it's upside down. Yeah, that was that was the best one, Yeah, which was the upside down, and then you have to take it out, put it back in. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's well, that's where I think we get the concept of the slideshow, was yes. from this carousel. Sure, yeah, things like, like you know, in Keynote or PowerPoint, where you're using yeah. slides, or even, you know, the Google ones, there's lots of different presentation ones, but we talk about each one's a slide. That comes all the way back to these days, when... We use these slide projectors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, of course, by this point in the mid-1960s, Kodak is a worldwide name. I mean, you know, everybody knows who they are. Um, most One of the most recognizable corporate names in the world. Yeah, they, and, you know, in 62, they, they exceeded $1 billion in revenue. That's a lot of money in 1962. That's it's a lot, lot of money, money now. now. <laughs> if um, you don't think so, feel free to send Jonathan Strickland yes. $1 billion. Exactly. I will be happy to dispose of your paltry sum. Yep, yep. Again, you can go to the website and, and pick out more. I'm looking for uh, famous names, like in 1963, the uh, Instamatic yes. camera. Yeah, the Instamatic, oh, which man. was... Uh, we had know, one of those. The Kodak Instamatic. Yeah. Uh, that, to me, is immortalized in the great, wonderful folk song by Weird Al Yankovic, uh, the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. <laughs> then Bernie ran away with my brand new Instamatic, but at least we have our memories. <laughs> well, they uh, they made more than fifty million of them by 1970. So yeah. in, in in seven years, yes. Um, and then of course, uh, you know, Kodachrome two made its debut in 1965. Yep. Uh, you know, the sequel, it's never quite right. <laughs> 1966, they came out with the Kodak 2620, which was a mm-hmm. color printer. Again, this is important because this is a new line of business for them that, that is starting, you know, they had, it had electronic memory, could do, uh, 2,000 to 3,000 prints an hour. Yeah. So now that's important. Yeah. The, the, this printer technology, that's what they're really banking on today. Yep. That's yep. what they're switching their focus. Mm. Oh, and the space program used a, uh, used, um, Kodak film to take a photo of uh, the crater Copernicus on the moon. Yeah. The Lunar Orbiter 2 used a dual-lens camera, film processor, and readout device, all Kodak brand. Yep. And then over the next few years, they continued to develop uh, more uh, advances in movie film technology and their camera technology. And fabrics. And in, fabrics. In 68, uh, Kodel polyester fibers. I didn't realize that Kodel, you know, you'd think the name would have clued me in, but I never realized that was them. Yeah. Well, 1975 is the next really big development. Yeah. Aha. Uh-huh. Again. Man. I told you. You use that all the time. I know. I You start to realize how frequently you use yeah. the same words, yeah. right? So anyway. But they are also doing, uh, yeah, the duplicator, the Ectoprint 100 copier duplicator was in 75. Okay. But, but the other big thing in 75 was the development mm-hmm. of the first digital camera. Yeah. See, this was done, again... Kodak has been doing research. They 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 realized early on that research and development were important. Yes. Um, like Bell Labs, like many other companies, HP, and so Kodak. <laughs> somebody at Kodak created a digital camera. Yeah, they actually used the sensor that was created at Bell Labs. Uh huh. And built a digital camera, which was a 0.1 megapixel black and white camera in 1975. And they promptly told that guy to put it away where nobody was going to see it. <laughs> yeah, it would be a while before Kodak would really start to get into digital photography and digital products. However, it is important to note that they were working on this that far back in time. Yep. And they realized 
<laughs> you may say, why didn't they totally get into this and spend them? They realized what effect this would have on their entrenched businesses. Yes. They yeah. knew that then. Yeah, so they knew that there needed this, to be some sort of transition between film and digital or else they would, through through innovation, they would put themselves out of business. Yeah, I, I, I make that joke, um, but I, I don't mean to uh, to suggest that they would really, you know, hide this away but they really they knew what a, what an innovation this was and they they had it in the back of their heads yeah so 1980 mm-hmm. they celebrated their 100th anniversary yay so happy 100 years in 1980 yep uh, also oh, yeah. uh, in in unrelated news uh, star wars empire strikes back came out in 1982 it was a good movie Kodak introduced what many of my friends had. Now, I think this is sort of a forerunner of today's point-and-shoot cameras that, well, actually, so was the Instamatic, for that matter, but not like the form factor of the disc camera, which showed up in the 82, which, uh, if you didn't, if you aren't unfamiliar with it, um, rather than having a cartridge with film that scrolls across where the shutter is and the, the viewfinder so that you can, you know, take a picture that way, the viewfinder is sort of off to the side because there's a, a it looks like a daisy wheel. Yeah. Uh, or a flower. Of, of photo negatives. So the phone, the film is on a disc. You drop the disc into the camera and it rotates to, uh, to make the exposures. Now, people who were real photographers complained about the quality of these photos because they're very tiny. Yeah. Um, however, they were very popular because they were flat and easy to carry. Yeah. And it, it was also in 82 when, uh, they had their pavilion open at Epcot. Ah, yes. I've been to it. I have as well. Uh, in 83, they introduced uh, the Kodak Car 4000 information system, mm-hmm. which helped with the storage and retrieval of microfilm images. Uh, they also were getting into, and they had been doing this all the way back to, to helping out with the, the whole x-rays thing, really getting into the medical fields, uh, helping develop yeah. technology specifically for medical uh, uh, purposes. And not necessarily tools like a, a syringe or something, but more like cam- camera and imaging tools specifically for medical procedures mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. medical uh, tests. Absolutely. Yeah, they uh, they created the Eastman Pharmaceuticals Division in 86, just to get ahead of myself for a little bit. There were a couple things, though, that I wanted to note. In 84, they started producing uh, floppy disks for computers. Mm-hmm. They made video cassettes in 8mm beta and VHS formats. Covering their bases. Yeah, if you guys don't know what beta is, ask your parents. Or they Google. probably don't know either, yeah, unless might, they worked in. You might need to Google. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, and they also uh, came out with the Mini Lab in '85. I remember this when when people started offering the Mini Labs uh, for fast developing in the the corner. Oh, Photoshop. They were just tiny Labrador retrievers. In '86, also in addition to their pharmaceuticals division, they started making sense. batteries: the ultra, ultra life lithium power cells and the super life batteries. I have mm. bought some, um, and uh, you know, th- so this is this is important. Again, they're getting into other kinds of uh, of uh, these other categories of businesses, right? Uh, not completely unrelated. I mean, they've been in, these are all chemical related businesses for the most part. Sure. Um, I remember the introduction of the fling in '87 too. The one time use cameras. Yeah, um, and then he acquired Sterling Drug in '88, which was kind of yeah. That strange. was that was uh, one of those moves that were was, seems kind of odd, and uh, they would actually end up divesting themselves of much of that yeah. business. Uh, anything that didn't have to do with imaging, you know, anything that was health related but was uh, still an imaging 
part of the industry they kept. But anything that was non-imaging health-related, they mm-hmm. divested themselves of in 1994. Yeah, yeah. Um, just sort of skipping ahead yeah. bits and pieces because we're getting kind of late here. Yep. Um, but really, they're, they're continuing to innovate through the, this time in printers, uh, copiers, and, and the other core disposable cameras. Disposable cameras, and they they um, they created a recycling program too, yep. which is kind of ahead of its time. See, it just makes me think of there's an episode of The Office where the receptionist, the new receptionist, Erin, says she loves disposable cameras, but she thinks it's such a, a sad waste because she doesn't understand that you take them in to get the pictures developed. She takes photos and then throws the camera away. So for her, it's sad. just the process of taking the photo that's joyous. Yes. But you don't actually get a photo afterward. Yeah. That's not how those work, people. <laughs> not, that, not that many people use those anymore, except that I, I do see them at things like weddings. Right. Where the, the disposable camera is left at the center of the table so you can snap photos that will be you know, you know disposed of after the <laughs> ceremony. Right. And everyone's just like, oh, it's another picture of Bill with a wedding cake on his nose. Yep. Yay. Fantastic. In, uh, in 1991, if you happen to have a Nikon F3, you might have been in luck because that was when they, when Kodak came out with the professional digital camera system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you had an F3, uh, you could use, uh, this system with a, with, uh, developed by Kodak with a 1.3 megapixel sensor. Yeah, which um, today sounds just which, like. Which is a fairly mm-hmm. small format, but probably big enough for most news photos, I would imagine. Yeah. Especially at the time. That was, that was pretty on top of things. Yeah. Um, and then they started making uh, writable CDs mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, uh, continuing to, to innovate for other uh, – its, its core lines. Um, they did uh, digitally restore Walt Disney's Snow White and Seven Dwarfs in 1993. Yep. Dwarves. No, it's dwarfs. Yes. There's no, no V. I know. It's only Tolkien that does the V. I know. Uh, Kodak Royal Gold film, which was, I remember, a, a popular color film, came out in 1994. Yep. Um, and, uh, they launched their website, Kodak.com, in 1995. Yeah, back then, uh, in 95, websites that- were they're, they're pretty new. Yep. So, yeah, Kodak was, uh, trying to create a presence on the web where they could show off all their different products and services. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so they were, they were right there, you know, not at the very leading edge, but pretty close. Yeah. Yep. They came out with the uh, advanced photo system uh, where you drop in the uh, film cartridge and you could change the film before you'd shot all the film. Mm-hmm. They also came out with its Advantix line, which uh, was sort of moderately popular. It was supposed to be an advanced photo uh, you know, system. Yep. Uh, in 99, mm-hmm. they had another pretty interesting innovation. This was with a partnership with uh, Sanyo Electric Company. Mm-hmm. They uh, showed off the very first commercial model of a full-color organic electroluminescent display, or OLED. OLED. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're just now starting to see television sets that have OLED displays at a size larger than just a few inches. Yeah. Uh, a few years ago, a 12-inch OLED screen was probably the biggest you would see at something like CES. But this past CES of 2012, I saw a 55-inch OLED screen. Well, you know, we go all the way back to 99 to see those first uh, shown off. So that's uh, it's been a long journey. <laughs> we're mm-hmm. still not, and we're still not to the point where OLED technology is 
cheap enough to manufacture that's going to be within the grasp of the average consumer because we're talking about $10,000 television sets right now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I don't know about you, but is a little outside my price range. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were uh, they also divested themselves of the digital printer, copier, and roller assembly operations to a company in Germany in 1999. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they did continue to make uh, imaging film for healthcare. Um, they came out with lines of digital uh, photo um, photo outfits in the early 2000s. Yeah, in 2001, they came up with the Kodak Easy Share system, mm-hmm. which uh, a lot of their their digital cameras have that Easy Share branding on them. And it's all about uh, the ability to port digital photos from one thing to another as seamlessly as possible. Uh, and these days, it would mean things like you would you know, connect your camera to your computer and it would just pull things over directly into, say, Facebook, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then these products are very popular. I mean, they, they ranked highest in customer satisfaction in uh, a couple price segments in the J.D. Power & Associates Survey in nineteen or two thousand four. I'm sorry. Yep. Um, so I mean, they're still they're still making very popular photography products, um, but you know, the, this this ended up not lasting forever. I mean, the the lists of things that they're working on, um, you know, are, are extensive yeah. through this period of time. Right. But uh, unfortunately, you know, the the company is still very involved with film. Yeah, and and. Wasn't until 2009 that they retired Kodachrome, yeah, color film, that it, it which made a lot of people and still makes a lot of people very unhappy because nothing quite shoots like Kodachrome. Yeah, it made a lot of people unhappy, but not enough people for them to keep the product going. See, this was this was the thing was that Kodak was holding on to those film products. Uh, longer than the the market was actually able to support them. So yeah. you have this big company that has a storied history in mm-hmm. film. Yeah. And there's still plenty of photographers who very much value film and film's place in art and in industry. But there's just there's a diminishing returns. There are fewer and fewer of the photographers, and a lot more of them are switching over to digital, either because they prefer it or because they feel that it's necessary, because that's just the way the world is moving. And so the the returns for Kodak were decreasing year over year, and they mm-hmm. had to make these tough decisions. And a lot of people, I've recently anyway, that I've read, have suggested that perhaps they waited too long, and that's part of why they're in the financial position they're in today. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, Kodachrome is. Uh, remember, we were talking about how it's black and white, and the color is is uh, produced through the developing process. That's a very specialized developing process, mm-hmm. and it became the kind of thing that uh, it wasn't that. You know, although Kodak made uh, photography cheaper and easier for the average Joe or Jane to get into. Um, Kodachrome became something that the serious photographer did. Yeah. And, you know, it, it required a special developing process. And, you know, at, at a certain point, that becomes uh, too cost prohibitive for the manufacturer of the film and the producing. See, they were involved in all that stuff. So it yeah. was, you know, they're making it for a very few people. Right. And so it just became too expensive. But I think I think Kodak's going to pop back. They have so much intellectual property. They They... You know, we're wise to invest in, an, in a diversity of products that were sort of related to the, the core um, group of products, and I think I think they'll make it. They're just going to need to do some restructuring and, and divest themselves of 
things that they don't uh, they don't make as much money on. Yeah, and, sadly, that's cameras in this yeah, case. Yeah, it's it's interesting because even though they are getting out of the camera business, they're still going to be making money off cameras because they hold this intellectual property, these patents that they have licensed off to other companies. So they are making money from camera technology. It's just yes. they're not they're not making cameras themselves anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're still doing other stuff. So we wouldn't call them like a, a you know, when we did our, our episode about patent trolls and mm-hmm. the companies that all they do is hold patents and then that's how they make money. Yes. It's not that Codex going down that route. No, no. Uh, but they are definitely shifting over. So yeah, that's the, that's the story of Kodak as it, as it, uh, stands today, mm-hmm. today being in February 2012. And, uh, it'll be interesting to see what the future of this company is and whether or not they will be able to reinvent themselves in such a way to become another industry leader, perhaps in a totally different industry. It's kind of funny though that one of the, uh, the technologies that, on, on which they were really on the bleeding edge ended up, um, massively changing the world in which it inhabited. I mean, they, they really created an industry in a lot of ways. Yeah. And uh, also created a technology that destroyed that industry or is destroying it or maybe, okay, that's too strong, changing it so dramatically that it that is causing the company to have to completely restructure its core business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think if they could... Sorry, a, I thought about that. I think if they could invent a time machine, they'd go back to 1975 and say, um, guys, let's not do this yet. Or uh, go back and, and say, let's invent the digital stuff that we're going to need before this film thing takes off. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Or or let's let's really concentrate on digital and do it before anyone else and do it yep. better than anyone else. Yep. Yeah, there are a lot of there are a lot of woulda, shoulda, couldas. Yeah. That's that's the way it works, right? But no, I think I think it's it's definitely. Uh, it's definitely not a sad story. It's just kind of a, uh, you know, sort it's of sad to see them stop making cameras. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll keep our eyes on them, see what happens. Yep. If you guys have suggestions for topics that we should cover, whether it's another company, whether it's a person, a specific kind of technology, let us know. You can tell us on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle there is techstuffhsw. Or shoot us an email. Our address is techstuff at discovery.com. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?